Father, this morning we just come to you. Author and finisher, perfecter of our faith. We look to you, Lord, knowing the work that you have begun. You will complete it. As we come to the ministry of your word, help us to surrender to your word and to your spirit. That you can continue your work in each one of us. We humble ourselves before thy mighty hand. Give us listening ears. A heart that is stayed on you. A will that always surrenders to your will. Help us, Father, to see through your eyes. Even now, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. <clears throat> if you've been here, you've been listening. We've been looking at the book of Ruth for the past few weeks. The book of consecration. And Ruth is our story. We not the Jews, but our story, every Gentile who was redeemed by our heavenly Redeemer, Boaz, Jesus Christ. That's the story of Ruth. But today, I believe God is asking me to take a digression through scriptures to meet a need in the body of Christ. It's strange that the whole week I was reading, studying, preparing on the second consecration of Ruth. We had only looked at the first one. Where you go, I go. And I was working on the second one when you can't, you can't be confident about anything concerning God in your flesh or even with your understanding. And last night he changed track and said, that's not what you are speaking on. This is what. So there would be a little shift today from what we've been studying, but I believe God has this word for the church here and to all of other churches, to those who would be listening online. You know, we've been looking at famine or lack and what famine does to us. In so many ways, famine is a revealer of our hearts and of our ways. That's why consistently, though there is famine, demonetization has created enormous hardship for people and businesses have shut down. Businesses are facing a crunch. People are, are facing hardship. But when famine comes, it reveals our heart and our ways. And therefore, we need to be very careful we do not change our ways. That's why we stick to the announcement that when it comes to offering, because because I know about servants of God who have announced in the church that I don't care what's the color of your money, bring it on. No, God definitely cares what's the color of our money and the ways in which we made our money. Is very careful about these things. And famine will always reveal our hearts and our ways. That's why God said, 
my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. So we, we saw over the weeks, over the years when famine came, it took even the father of believers, Abraham, from the promised land, Canaan, to Egypt. It took Elimelech and Naomi from Canaan, from Bethlehem to Moab. And that's what we've been looking at. What famine does to us? And after 10 years in Moab, and after the death of all the three men in her life, her husband and two sons, Naomi is now ready to go back to Bethlehem. But why is Naomi going back to Bethlehem? Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6 says, She arose. There are many times in the Bible when God will tell his people, Arise. Arise. Now here scripture says, She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Question is, why, did, why was she going back? Because of bread. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we just motivated by bread alone? Do we just live by our senses? Our physical reality alone? Will we really experience what God has in store for us? Remember, God is a spirit. And Jesus had told the Samaritan woman, a time is coming and has come when true worshippers will arise who will worship God in truth and in spirit. Yes, God in Christ came down as a man to save us. That's what John 3.16 says. We all know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and God came in down to us in flesh to redeem us, to deliver us, to restore us. But always remember as you study scripture, Jesus is not the only one who came down. Revelation 12.12 says, Therefore rejoice heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath Because he knows he has a short time. Somebody else also has come down. Who is that? The devil. But scripture is very clear here. It says, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. That's where Paul says, My citizenship is of heaven. He's right on planet earth, walking on earth, but he makes it very clear. I know where I am from. And I where I dwell spiritually. My citizenship is in heaven. Woe to the inhabitants of earth. Woe to those whose hearts, minds, souls are yoked to the earth. Why? For the devil has come down to you. Who has come down to you? The devil has come down to you. The other one who has come down. Note three points here. One, he has come down to earth. Two, He has come down with great wrath. Mad as hell. That's why we have these terms in English. Great anger. Great wrath towards us. And third, he knows he has very little time. That's why God tells us through Paul, redeem the time for the days are evil. Because the devil knows he has very little time. And he has come with 
great wrath. And when he comes with that anger, and when he has knows he has very little time, he comes with against people with everything that he has. Therefore, satanic, demonic activity is real and is on increase as never before. But also remember, so is the work of Christ. That's what scripture means where sin abounds because of demonic influence. Sin abounds, grace abounds even more. As the work of the devil increases, so does the work of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17 to 19 is the mission statement of Jesus and his church. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is a mission statement of Jesus and therefore the church. This is mission statement. Should be each one of our mission statement. What is your mission statement? The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free. That's my mission statement. You should know everybody. Every born again believer. Spirit filled believer. This is your mission statement. We don't have a different mission statement from Jesus, because he is the head, we are the body, we have the same mission statement. What is it? To set the captives free. And what is the mission report of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What is his mission report? He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. What should be our mission report? We went around in life doing good, not evil, doing good and healing, setting free all those who were oppressed of the devil. This is his mission statement. This is his mission report. And the church cannot have a different one. This is This denotes one of the primary purposes for which Jesus came. He came. 1 John 3, 8 will tell us the primary purpose Jesus came. One of the primary. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Meaning if you do not overcome sin, and if you are deep in sin, then you are of the devil. Because the devil is the original sinner. For this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why was Jesus manifested? At the age of 30, he steps, he makes his mission statement. And in the book of Acts, Luke will write his mission report. What is it? To break, to destroy the works of the devil. Unless the works of the devil are destroyed in our lives, We will be of little effect in this world which is controlled by the devil. Which is controlled by the devil. The work, the Bible is very clear. This world is controlled by the devil. And God says, into this world I have sent you. How I have sent you? Born of the spirit 
anointed of the Holy Spirit, set, sent you to do good and set captives free. But for that purpose, we need to be free first. And we are looking at that today. In First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Bible, unlike any other religious text, makes it very clearly that we are spirit, soul, and body. Most religions do not make this distinction. They only consider man has soul and body. But the Bible is very, very clear. We are a tripart being. We have a spirit, which is in Hindi, Atma, Pran, or Sharir. Three parts. No, They confuse these two as one. It is not. The Bible says we are a three-part person. We have a spirit, a body, a soul, and a body. So the day you and I repented and accepted the forgiveness that God offered through his son on the cross, and we called upon the name of Jesus, our spirits were born, reborn, as it was united with the Holy Spirit. It was our spirit that came alive. When the Holy Spirit came on our spirit. We were born by the spirit in our spirit. But our soul and our body is still open and often under the influence and the control of the devil and demonic entities. Still is. Often. Everybody. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Every day offer it, the body back to God. Every day. Why? If you don't, somebody else will use it. In Romans 6, you don't have to turn there. God, Paul will say, offer the instruments of your body as instruments of righteousness. Earlier he used it as instruments of wickedness. It was in the devil's hands. Now offer it as instruments of righteousness into God's hands. And then when it comes to the soul, the major component of the soul is our mind. Scripture says, do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because every pattern of thinking in the world is influenced by the devil and his kingdom. So don't be conformed to the patterns of thinking of this world by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So demonic activities take place in the body and in the soul. In the soul. In our mind especially and emotions. Everything where the demonic influence, activity, bondage can come. Therefore, there are things we are required by the word of God to do as newborn Christians. The things, the Bible, that's why all the epistles were written. So that these two parts would primarily be used by God. And spiritually you grow. So Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Says we have to do what? Put on. Now the problem is believers often have this misconception. Once I am saved, he is the author and the finisher of my faith. I have to do nothing. God does everything. Not true. There is something which God has to do. 
It is something which I have to do. So here we are told to put on the new man. What does it mean? It's something like dressing a child. You know, when you dress a child, you have to tell, okay, lift your hand. Especially, have you tried to put that sweater? You know, you will have to use a little force to get the sweater down. It fights that, hits, putting that sweater over its head. But you and I have to put on, God is there like a parent, willing to help us, but we have to be willing every day to put on the new man. We have to. There is a part which God will do. There is a part which we have to do. That's where the choosing comes. Choose this day. Choose. I set before you life and death. Choose. The more we spend time in the word of God and in fellowship with God, the more our minds are renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Image of him. God's own image. The more we spend time with God, in fellowship with God and with the word. Because we we have this this impressions which sound very godly but are not true. One of the misconceptions believers have is that light and darkness cannot exist together. But spiritually it does. Romans 7 verses 17 and 18. Now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me but how to perform what is good I do not find. Who is this speaking? So is there sin in him? Yes. Is there darkness in him? Is the Holy Spirit also in him? Yeah. Together. In his spirit is the Holy Spirit, the light of God. In his flesh is sin and darkness together. They're together. Jeremiah 23 and verse 24. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and the earth, says the Lord? What do I do? I fill heaven and earth. Yet what does Ephesians 6.12 tell us? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. God says, I fill heaven and earth and all the powers of darkness are also in heavenly places. So, are they there? He says he fills earth. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, God says, Be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, the devil, is walking around where? On earth. So until the final judgment is over at the end of thousand years of Jesus' reign, and when the devil and all his followers are thrown into the lake of fire, there will be good and evil existing together. Even in each one of us. It is there. Understand that reality and never ever think we are beyond demonic influence. Therefore our soul, our mind, our body needs liberty from demonic influence, from demonic oppression. It needs. Ephesians 5 
26 to 27, when it talks about the mind, it says, how does that happen? That he might sanctify and cleanse us. Jesus sanctifies us, his body, his bride, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not even having a spot, or a wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. She says, I use my word to clean your mind up of every demonic entity, every demonic influence, everything. He does it through the washing of the water by the word. Who does it? He does it. Then we feel very good. Oh, thank you, Lord. You are the one who do it. That means I don't have to do anything. God says, no, I didn't say that. That's because you didn't read scripture carefully. You and I can never be passive about it. That does not mean that you just come to church and sit there and listen on a Sunday or a Wednesday. No, that is a part of it. The physical part of surrendering your body as many times as you especially see the day approaching. Scripture says, why should the church gather more and more and more for the ministry of the word when you see the day approaching? Because demonic activity increases. If the apostolic church had to gather every day for the ministry of the word, how come the, at the end of the age we don't even find it difficult to gather twice a week? Why? Because we are blinded. We are already blinded. We see, I don't, I don't, I don't see the necessity. I don't need it. We have been already been blinded. That we don't need to study the word every day of our life. Meditate upon the word. Listen, listen, read, study, listen, listen to see that our thinking patterns align with Christ. So it is not just that God will do it. I have to do first part of the body. I have to be make myself available to the word of God. Either at home or at the place where the church gathers. Two, Second Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Who does this? Does God do that or do I do that? I do that. God washes me clean by the washing of the water of the word. The water, it comes. Okay, It's like standing under the shower. You have to do the scrubbing. The shower head doesn't come down and scrub you. It never does. I have to do this. Casting down. As you really study this, other arguments arise which are from the pattern of the world we receive. Why should it be that way? Why can't it be this way? Some of them are strongholds. If you look at verse 3 and 4, it talks about pulling down stronghold. What is a stronghold in your mind? You know, when I was growing up, we did not have uh, cassettes or CDs. Nothing had come in then. We had LP records, gramophone records. And uh, when you like a particular gramophone set of songs, mine was the old favorites of Kishore Kumar. Every day you hear that over and over and over. And after some time what happens? A rut comes in that LP record. And the needle falls into it. 
it is not like the cd which stops it will go on and on and on that same line over and over and over and over over until you have two choices either stop it or lift it and move it that's how strongholds are developed in your mind it's a pattern of thinking it's become very strong and you actually have fallen into that rut and when the word of god comes it opposes it it opposes it lot of people just leave it like that and give it up and say this is too much but you cannot give it up that stronghold has to be brought down by faith and you have to be very persistent with it that i am not going to stop until the stronghold comes down that is the first obstruction israel faces in the promised land the stronghold of jericho the walls are so high until they take jericho they cannot possess the promised land god says walk 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 around it walk around don't give up six days walk around it don't give up it has to come down there are patterns of thinking established in our minds those thinking are often contrary to the word of god therefore we try to twist scriptures searching scriptures to find whether we can get some scripture that agrees with it and when it doesn't we start searching everybody else then finally when we don't we go into greek and rome and latin and mythology and culture everything to buttress our point but if it is of god you don't need anything other than the word of god it's very simple and clear it's very clear why do we do all this because we don't realize it's a stronghold we don't want to change in that area all searching is not the searching for truth sometimes searching scripture is to validate rebellion it's not all for searching for truth so there are strongholds established in our minds and scripture says these strongholds have to be broken down so that our thinking thought patterns align with christ align with christ This is the battle that is happening around the world in the universities because he who controls my thinking controls me. What do you think is happening in the universities? And the young people on the streets fighting, rioting, opposing everything. Why? Because their minds are controlled by ideas and ideologies that does not agree with the word of God. It controls you. That's what you saw last week at Berkeley University. They actually say we are progressive, we are liberals, we want the freedom of thought. But they did not even allow that man to speak. Allowed that man to speak. They burnt stuff, they stopped, the police had to come. Why? Because the most progressive, so-called progressive liberal people are always scared of truth. the most people who say they are tolerant are actually incredibly intolerant to truth the battle that is happening in the universities 
And the saddest part is as parents, we make the same mistake. Every one of these Ivy League universities, whether it is Princeton, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, was originally founded to train men and women to serve God. They were all seminaries first. Understand that. The same places have been taken over by demonic entities where you cannot utter the name of God anymore. You are not allowed to mention or speak about Jesus in these places. Understand that. How did it happen? Do you think it's natural? No, it's not natural. It is demonic. Because the devil knows very well who controls your mind, controls you. We want to be led by the Spirit. What did Ruth say? Where you go? I go. And scripture says, as many are led by the Spirit shall be called the sons and daughters of God. But the question is, who controls your thinking? What do you, what do you understand from being led by the Spirit that He will put a hook and pull you along? No, He doesn't. He said, your mind, if you think according to my word and you follow the word, the Spirit will lead you through my word. Your thinking patterns will change. And when you face resistance, it's because a stronghold is being shown. A stronghold, patterns of thinking. Because he who controls your thinking, controls you and me. The next stage is the only thing which controls your body. You need to understand the victory is in Christ. You know, prisoners of war are taken. In a war, casualties take place. Prisoners of war are taken. And they are tortured in their body. What are they tortured in the body for? To so that they would change their thinking and betray their nations. The devil also torments people because he has taken over their thinking. 14 years in prison, in isolation. Richard Wombrand. They did everything to break his mind. Nothing happened. He came back powerful in God. 21 years in prison and died in prison. Watchman Nee. Read his books. It's precious. Why? Because they allowed the word of God to frame their thinking and not demonic entities or men or women controlled by demonic entities. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, and then verse 18, you will see a parent coming. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. But actually it's a wrong translation. NIV, if you go to KJV or even NKJV, I don't know which, which version is this. And suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and of, often into the water. I want that KJV translation there. You look at the actual translation. No? Can I have it? 15, 15, okay. Have mercy on my son for he's a lunatic. Lunatic means mental disorder. It's a lunatic. The actual English translation is he's moonstruck. It's connected with the moon. Lunar, lunatic, lunatic asylum. That is why in scripture God says, 
sun shall not smite you by day nor the moon by night and you will say how can moon have an effect no you don't realize every occult religion the rituals take place during full moon and the crescent moon that's when the rituals take place to get the demons out because men also receive their power from demons and all the secret black rituals take place at night according to the moon not the sun according to the moon and then people get possessed by demons and they start acting funny and god says the sun shall not smite you by day or by moon my people if you walk under me you don't have to worry about demonic oppression or demonic bondage stay under the law stay under the word walk you will be safe it was demonic his mental disorder was demonic and you will see often he falls into the fire you will see all around the world all around india you will hear young people today suicide rates in these countries are going higher and higher and higher and what do young people do those who don't even kill themselves they keep on cutting themselves have you heard that it's demonic cutting it's demonic and scripture shows it on mount carmel to exorcise baal and the demons finally with all their rituals nothing was happening they started cutting themselves and you will see it everywhere piercing cutting all that kind of things it's demonic and they are minds are controlled and now they are inflicting this on their body so they can receive power and god says it's a demon verse 18 what did he do Jesus rebuked the devil and he left him and the child was cured that very hour it's it's demonic Jesus just rebuked he he didn't take him into psychiatric hospital and give him antidepressants no he said get out now that's what they do you could go to psychiatric hospital if it's a mental disorder they will give you antidepressants and they walk like zombies sad but finally what do people do they have no recourse they said this is too violent this is too much disorder in the house i prefer a zombie than to a violent one at least he or she will sit there quietly people end up with it and the young people in us are the most drugged young people in the whole world you have to see the medication that is prescribed and given to them that's a land of zombies they can't even think rationally anymore because half the nation is under antidepressants that's why the church stands up and god says know your mission statement i have anointed you to set the captives free you should have a mission report the spirit of the lord god has anointed me the holy spirit and with power and i went around doing good and healing people who were oppressed of the devil In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14 we will see the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him meaning God removed his hand from Saul and the spirit started distressing this man is a king he's a smart guy he's an intelligent guy but now he's tormented he's distressed distress so understand our minds can be taken over by demonic influences real demons and ideas and ideologies which are empowered by demons 
empowered by demons. It can be a religious spirit which will kill. Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, whatever you want to name it, all religious spirits kill. Why? It's a demonic influence. Otherwise, how will you kill somebody? The entire abortion industry is, I'm not talking about the women who take abortion under pressure, under fear, whatever, some of them, but the entire industry, it's a multi-billion industry. They have a counting system in America where they keep on counting and from 1971 to 2017, their number is, they have killed 68 million unborn babies in US through abortion. 68 million. How do you do it? There's an industry that is happening where the embryos embryos are taken, the parts are harvested, given into clinics so that new, new things can be made to heal people. How can you do it? And some of these babies, when they are aborted, when they are taken out, they are alive. And then they are killed. You think it's normal? You think it's natural? No, it isn't. It's all demonic. Influenced by powers of darkness who have warped the thinking of women. Who are supposed to be the most compassionate. That's why God says, even if the mother who feeds you, forgets you, I will not. I will not. There is demonic power like never before. Only thing on earlier days it was open. Now it is cloaked under education and civilization. And they call themselves progressive. That's how the devil deceives. So there is demonic influences in our minds. All over. To rebel, to rebel, to rebel, to rebel. To thought authority, to rebel, rebel. At every level there is demonic influences going on. And we need to be very careful. Very careful. Then there is this physical. In Luke chapter 13, verse 11, Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over. Now this is a physical infirmity. And this was a spirit, a demonic, which had affected her body. All illnesses are not, but many, many illnesses are part of demonic influence. All other religions except true Christianity, all other religions have practices, practitioners of the occult. If you really want to harm your neighbor over his property or something, you go to him, pay a fee, he will put a demon on you. And student, months later, you will see, you will be walking like this, wondering what happened to me. That is why to Israel, God gives the promise, you stay on the shadow of my wings. I will cover you with my feathers. Nothing will touch you. Stay. These influences are real. These powers are real. They fly by night. They fly by day. They are there at all times. But you stay undercover. You are safe. So there is mental. There is physical. Oppression is a reality. And it is the work of the devil. And God makes his statement. As we saw in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. What did Jesus come for? To destroy the works of the devil in our mind, in our soul, in our body. Okay, understand this. On the cross, the price was paid for our liberty from demonic oppression. 
the price was paid on the cross. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. Peace, that's for the mind. Healing, that's for our body. The price was paid on the cross. Can you prove it from scripture? Yes. Matthew chapter 8, 16 to 17. Yeah, Matthew, the one, the next one. Yeah. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. It was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. What is that? I have paid. For God there is no present, past, future. He says, he already sees the end from the beginning. It is fulfilled on the cross. The pie price has been paid. I will set you from demonic oppression and I will heal your body from sickness because the price has been paid on the cross. For this purpose, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. Two things are mentioned over here, if you notice. The casting out of demons and the healing of physical sicknesses. But two things have to be noted from Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Our, our, our. This is only applicable to those who believe. Not for others. You have to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe the price was paid. You have to believe by his stripes I am healed. You have to believe. You have to repent, confess, believe that God has done the work. I don't have to pay anymore. You and I have to believe. Second thing, if you look at the previous portion, that is from Matthew 8. And he cast out. Demons don't live on their own. Usually, they don't. Most of the times, they don't live on their own. Just because you read the word of God, it won't go. It has to be cast out. They have to be cast out. And you have to learn to cast out demons from yourself. I did even last night from myself. Do it regularly. Just get out. I know it's not of God. Strange influence. It's not of God. Leave now in Jesus' name. And it goes. You have to cast it out. Cast it out. Because it tries to interrupt your thinking patterns. You start fiddling with your emotions. And you know, that's not what I was thinking. That was not what I'm feeling. Where did this come from? Don't give in to it and say, ah, that's the way I should feel. No. No. God has his ways. They don't automatically go. They were driven out or cast out. Healing also doesn't automatically always happen. It does happen at times, but doesn't. it has to be believed and received. Why? Why is it so? 
Now let us get into the legal framework, okay? Because God's kingdom is established in righteousness, in truth. So there is a legal framework under which everything happens in God's kingdom. That's what you see in the courts in America. Executive order came. How many courts they have filed petitions? And the Seattle court temporarily hold it nationwide, the executive order. Why? Because everything that has to be done has to be done under the law. And if a judge feels even a part of the law has been bent, he will halt it. If an earthly judge will do that, how much more the legal framework under which God's kingdom works. Right? What does scripture say about God's kingdom? The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. There is a legal framework behind every captive who is released. You are not just released, it released according to the law. What is the law? Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 and 15. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We were dead in our sin. The uncircumcision of our flesh. He has made alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. What do I, you need? We need God's forgiveness. Before he has, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities. What does it mean? Making the powers of darkness of no effect in our lives. That's what it means. So what do I need? If demonic activity has to have no power over my life, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. But for God to forgive me, because I have sinned, a price has to be paid. Who paid? He paid. When he paid the price, the all the data against me was nailed to the cross. Taken out of the way. And Powers of darkness was disarmed, made without power over those who believe and receive his forgiveness. Not for others. The others are still under oppression, the whole world. You could be a president, you could be a prime minister with all the escorts and bodyguards, they are under oppression. You could be a simple person walking under the blood on the streets, you are free. That's how the kingdom of God operates. He has forgiven us of all our trespasses. That's what it means. He was pierced for our iniquities. Chastised. Because the price was paid by him for your and my freedom. That is why legal grounds must be removed for experiencing the liberty God gives us. Only God knows. Only the spirit knows what is the legal ground on which the demon is attacking you. God knows. The demon knows. You may or you may not know. In Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this 
wicked generation. What is God saying? What is the simple principle here? Don't leave your house empty. The greatest tragedy that is happening in the kingdom of God in the church are empty houses. Empty houses. In deliverance meetings and all other kind of meetings, yes, anointing works and demons are cast out. But people never walk with God. Filling themselves with the word, having a regular prayer life with God, fellowship with God, staying under the covering and the authority of God, house is empty. Empty. It's empty. And God says, the last state of the man is worse than the first. It shall be so with this wicked generation. Wicked generation. Churches speak, teach salvation. They never teach separation. And if you teach separation, people get offended and very mad. But that was the warning given on the first day the gospel was preached on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. The anointing was upon the apostles to set those who believed free. But there was a warning given to those who believed. You know what the warning was? In Acts chapter 2 verse 40 with many other words. What did Peter say? He testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation. From this wicked generation. That part we won't say because we are afraid we will offend people. You know how many mothers have called me saying, I want to come to your church, but my sons won't come. They'll say, we'll come with you to any other church, but not to that church. Why? Because he preaches too hard. What is hard? This. If you don't separate, your end will be like what Jesus said earlier. What is that? Seven other spirits will come. But a spiritual separation from an evil generation does not guarantee spiritual liberty. Please don't misunderstand. Oh, I am separated, so I am free. No, you are not. We also need to be separated not only from, but be separated unto God and God's people. That is Acts chapter 1. And 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man needs bread. But get your order of your bread right. Order of your bread right. What happened here? They were baptized. That is the death of the old man. Separated from the world. And they gathered daily for what? For apostles doctor. Can that happen? Honestly in most churches? It's not possible. 20 minutes and you are no more. Worship 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 1 hour. Then testimony. Testimony is a test of money. 
It's a test of money because all will come and say how much money they got. And goes and on. Finally 15 minutes to 20 minutes word is over. But that's not how the church met. The church met continually steadfastly for the apostles doctrine. Apostles doctrine. But there is a problem. The knowledge of God gained outside of the context of relationship is only half of God's plan. We were not called to just come and gather knowledge. He says the purpose of the knowledge is to have a genuine relationship with God and one another. Therefore, immediately there is fellowship. Fellowship. Even people who are very good at this fail in this. People who are very good at this fail in this. There are some people who are very good at fellowship. Oh, they are experts, PhD in fellowship. But with the word, so good in fellowship, they will tell everything about you. Sister, I liked your sari. I mean like the zari and the pattern and the texture. But when it comes to the word of God, no. Word of God, good. No fellowship. Fellowship is the testing ground of our liberty in the spirit. Are you really free? Then you should be able to fellowship with anybody in the church. Whether you are old, whether you are middle-aged, whether you are a teenager or whether you are a baby, Jesus could fellowship with anybody who came to him. He didn't stop. Nicodemus, okay, I have something to tell you. Samaritan woman, I have something to tell you. Babies, don't stop them. Because a fellowship is a test whether the doctrine has set us free. And when we struggle with fellowship, that's a testing ground, God says, judge here. This is called the Lord's table. Judge before you break bread. Judge. 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 We have to ask ourselves, why am I not able to fellowship? Why am I not able to fellowship? Ask ourselves that question. Why, am, why do I struggle with fellowshipping with people? Yet, the fact is, many who struggle to fellowship in the church, fellowship wonderfully in their office with the unbelievers. It's not that you don't fellowship. There is a block. It's a spiritual block. Are you getting the picture? This is God. This is His kingdom. This is the pattern. And then there is prayer. And there is God doing all kind of things in their midst. They have liberty. They have liberty. Incredible liberty. And God puts a hedge around them. We all want hedges. As believers, we should have a spiritual hedge around us. But remember, when it comes to hedges, again it is twofold. It is God who places a hedge and it is we who build. It is spiritual. Listen to the conversation between, we have looked at this earlier, between Satan and God. Three times God will say about Job, okay? 
Job chapter 1, 9 and 10. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does God fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? You made a hedge around him. Around his household. Around all that he has. On every side, you have blessed the work of his hand and the possessions have increased in the land. What does Satan tell God? You have put a hedge. Because we are looking at demonic activity. And the demons, even Satan himself could not oppress Job. Because God had put a hedge. Who put the hedge? You put a hedge. I cannot touch him. It's God who put the hedge. Did Job have anything to do with it? Of course. He built the hedge. Bush by bush he built it. Job 1.1. One, one. How do you build a hedge? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless. Before God. Upright before God. One who feared God and shunned evil. He built the hedge. Blameless. Perfect. At each point in his life, he chose to seek an appropriate God's strength and power and counsel to be perfect. To be upright. To fear God and to shun evil. Do you see the hedge? God will place it if we choose to build it. On the other hand, Ecclesiastic 10 and verse 8 says, He who digs a pit will fall into it. Why are so many people in the pits? Because they were digging for somebody else. It's the truth. I'm not talking about the world so much. People ask me this question. I say, why doesn't it happen in the world? I say, the world is not ready for judgment. The church is already under judgment. A man of God or a woman of God or a child of God does something and a man in the world does ten times worse. Nothing happens to this fellow. But this one is immediately into trouble. Why? Because God says judgment begins in my house. He says it doesn't begin in the world. It doesn't begin in the world. It ends with the world. But when it ends with the world, it is condemnation. Finished. But not. Whoever breaks through a wall or a hedge will be bitten by a serpent. God said I have put a hedge. I put a hedge. Don't break through the hedge because now is he talking, is this talking about literally how many walls we have broken? Did serpents come? No. But spiritually we didn't realize every boundary wall God kept around us when we broke the devil bit. He bit. What are the hedges? Just a few so that we identify. This is pathology, okay? Before treatment can come, we need the pathologist help to diagnose and prescribe pathology. What are the walls we have broken or the hedges we have broken through? What is to be done to repair it? Second Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Why? Lest the serpent take advantage of you. If you do not forgive, you have broken the edge. The serpent has already got you. No condition set over there. You cannot play games with this. Why is there so much 
turmoil and torment in lives and in homes because of this hedge that was broken and the serpent bit them. Wife won't talk to the husband, the husband won't talk to the wife, the children won't talk to the parents and it's a total turmoil. Why? It's because of unforgiveness. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul says, I don't even know that guy. I don't haven't met this guy. I heard something about it. I told you to what you do it. You did it. He has repented. I have forgiven him. That's it. I'm not even going to hold that in my heart. Let go. Let go. I don't even want to see that guy. I've let go. It's overdone. Why? Because I do not want the devil to take advantage of us. We know about the parable of the debtors. You know the moral ending of what Jesus said. I didn't say Jesus said in Matthew 18, 32 to 35. His master after he had called him said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What will my heavenly father do? Hand you over to the tormentors. Who are that? Demonic oppression. He takes the heads off and says, go, do your work until he come to his senses. Legal framework. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of righteousness. We open ourselves to demonic activity if we do not walk according to God's ordinances. There is no compromise on these things. That is why the Lord's prayer. What is the Lord's prayer? Forgive your debtors if you want God to forgive you. Are you getting the picture? Are we getting the picture? We may come back to that again. One is unforgiveness. Major issue, unforgiveness. A major issue, not in the world. In the church. That's interesting. In the world, forget it, they will tell you in the world. Oh, sorry, in the church and in believing homes, they won't even say sorry. It's very funny. We who have been forgiven of all our debts by God through the blood of His own Son refuse to forgive. The world who has never understood the forgiveness of God is very easily forgiving. Isn't that funny? Unforgiveness. Guard your heart. Whatever the issue, forgive and let go. Let issues be resolved as issues. Second thing, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 and 27. Be angry, but do not sin. Anger is the symptom. Sin is the result. There are two kinds of anger, hot and cold. Some people say, I am never angry. It's not true. You're just cold. Just cold. <laughs> I'll give you the cold treatment or the hot treatment. The hot treatment is better than the cold treatment usually. Okay? Be angry but do not 
sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then whom does he bring there? Give place to the devil. Don't worry, he's waiting. When every fight takes place, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's watching. Are they going to make peace? Are they going to make peace? Oh, thank you, they haven't made peace. He enters. That's the first thing God tells Cain. Why are you angry? First question he asks outside the garden. Why are you angry? Why are your countenance fallen? Is he shouting at his brother? No. Then look at faces and know who is angry and who is not angry. Nobody is opening him in their mouth. That's what God is telling Cain. Why are you angry? Your countenance has fallen. And it is not depression. It is anger. Some people who come there, they are depressed. Some people who are not depressed, they are angry. And God asked the question, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Why do you want your brother's acceptance? You want my acceptance, right? And I'm willing to accept you if you just do what I tell you to do. Did he receive that counsel? No, he did not receive the counsel. So what did he do? He gave place to the devil. What did he become? He became a murderer. What did God say? The devil was a murderer from the beginning. Cain. We don't kill today only because of law and order. That's the only reason. We kill different ways. But we don't use a knife. Don't use a knife. We are too civilized for it. We kill in different ways. But God says, don't give place to the devil. Look at what he's talking about. He says, demonic oppression comes in because you are angry and you sin. You are angry and you sin. Unforgiveness leads to demonic oppression. Sin leads to Demonic oppression. That's why we need to be quick to repent. Then Hebrews 12, 15, what will it further lead to? Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Defiled by what? Demonic containment. People should be worried about demonization, not demonetization. Can you imagine Naomi in Bethlehem? The Lord has visited Bethlehem. Bethlehem is full of bread. How is she? Peter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Looking carefully. If you are bitter, what do you happen to you? You need grace for everything in life to overcome. You fall short of the grace of God. God says don't fall short of the grace of God because the root of bitterness, root of bitterness. I'm just giving you little, little examples, but take this seriously. Don't ever, ever get fooled by the devil. Change our thinking according to the pattern of God's word, not the world. Therefore, learn to constantly walk by faith and not by sight. That is the pattern of the world. God's sight is the ways of the world. Second Corinthians 5, 7, God says, For we walk by faith, 
not by the sight, not by world's patterns. We look into the word and God says this, be angry but don't sin. Meaning, sometimes issues are there, you have to discuss issues, you have to handle issues, but don't sin. When you sin, you are sinning against a person. You are angry with an issue. Angry with an issue. When you sin, you sin against a person. So discuss issues, resolve issues. But in your anger, if you sin, it becomes difficult to handle it. Difficult to handle it. Therefore God says, walk by faith. Go according to patterns of my, of my kingdom. That's what David does. Saul is after his life. He has done nothing but good to Saul. Saul was his king. He was a soldier in the army. He only brought victory for Saul, glory for Saul, wherever he went. But Saul is after his life. Did he do anything to deserve it? No. Every opportunity he gets to kill Saul, he won't. He says, I will not do it. Why? Because that's not God's way. That's not God's way. I can. Some job said, if you don't, I will just give me the permission. I will kill. He said, no, you can't. You don't do that. Let God handle it. God handle it. Your way is not my way, Joab. God's way is what I am following. There is man's way, there is God's way. So we have to learn to walk by faith. And it is more important for us who are in the kingdom of God, we grow in the faith and continue to walk in faith. Then suddenly this idea of sin also changes. Why? Romans 14.23 will tell us, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Okay, leave this. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Think about the decisions you have taken in 2017. How much of it is from faith? Even if it's a good decision for you, it is still sin if it is not from faith. Therefore, this is a constant battle. The transforming of the mind is a constant fight. You grow in the faith, you make decisions, you continue to study the word, you continue to meditate the word, God gives you more understanding, more knowledge, you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, in that area I am not walking by faith. I didn't even realize. And God says, move on to faith. Move on to faith. That is why it is called, he is the author and he is the perfect of our faith. So when Abraham left the earth of the Chaldeans, God began the walk of faith with him. But scripture says in his old age when he took Isaac up Mount Moriah, tied him to the altar, lifted the knife, scripture says his faith was perfected. So he's growing all the way. But at any point he could have turned back. Could have turned back and said thus far no more. And his faith would have never been perfected. He would have left at some, we would be call it spiritual dropout in God's school. Plenty dropouts are there. Five years in school, six years in school and decided that's all education I need. I'm not going to study anymore. But God says no. He's not only the author, he's the perfecter of your faith. Whatever is not of faith, is sin. So we, as we grow in faith, our understanding of sin changes. Why is this so important? Because we have to overcome sin daily. We have to overcome sin daily. There are always two sides. One is God's, the other is mine. 
God's side and my side. God's side is Jude 124. Jude has only one chapter but 124. Now to him, thank you Lord, who is able to keep you and me from stumbling. Forget about falling. You don't fall before you stumble. He said, forget about falling. You won't even stumble. He can keep you what from? Lord, keep me from falling. God says, listen carefully. I can even keep you from stumbling. Forget falling. To present you faultless. There was a man in the land of Uz called Job. He was faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That was the joy of the father telling Satan, you come from earth, went all around. Did you see my man Job? Faultless. Exceeding joy. It's God who will do it. But then, what about your and my part? That is also there in 1 John chapter 5. Yeah? We know that whoever is born of God does not does not continue in sin. That's what it means. He will overcome because he is born of God. But who has been born of God keeps keeps himself. Now God is not keeping him, which God does. Now he is keeping. If he keeps himself and does not sin, the wicked one cannot touch him. Devil has no power over you. Believe this. Though we know, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know we are of God and we keep himself and God keeps us and the wicked one cannot touch you. He cannot touch you. You have to believe when you hear these things and read these things. I will not allow the devil to have dominion in my thought life or over my body. It belongs to God and God alone. That's what scripture says in Romans 12.1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. As acceptable. Living holy and acceptable to God. And do not be conformed to the pattern of the world by the renewing of your mind. You will know what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. But the devil comes to mess up our thinking, mess up our body so that he can work through us. God says no. That is not my plan for any one of my children. No. You were born from me, from my spirit to do my will. We have to believe. We have to believe. We are called to that liberty. True liberty is the liberty of the spirit which only the Holy Spirit can bring. That he brings when we exalt God's word above every thought, every imagination, every emotion, every feeling. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. That's why we keep going back to that passage in the book of Acts. Acts 16.22-25 And the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks, but at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. He always will tell you, two things will define you. One, your worship. Second, whether you are a blessing. 
If you are a true child of God, nothing should stop your blessing, your worship. Your worship is not defined by outward circumstances. You are born to be a worshipper irrespective of your circumstances. It is good to worship in church. It's better to worship alone at home. It's even more better and greater. The authenticity of your worship is tested in places like this. That's why I say Richard Wombrand, 14 years in prison. You look at any normal man in the world who did not know Christ. When they have been put in isolation chambers for one year, two years, five years, six years, they have come out raving madmen. But when God's children were put into isolation chambers, they came after years and years all alone. They came out. They came as great worshippers. Because your worship is the real definition of your walk with God. Real definition. And this is, not only are you a worshipper, but you will see every prisoner a little later will be set free because you are called to be a blessing to others. Not to be just a blessing to yourself. Scripture doesn't say their chains alone came off. Everybody's chains came off. Remember, that is what scripture is talking about. I am a true worshipper. If I am a true worshipper, Lord, I have to be a true blessing. That is what every child of God, that is what scripture talks about. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. The chains of everybody will come off. Those who have been chained by powers of darkness are set free because we choose to worship. We choose to worship. Now why did we come to this topic? Why did we come to this topic? Because we were doing with Auntie Ruth, right? And Sister Naomi. How did we come here? Reason. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 to 28. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Who is she? A Canaanite. He answered her not a word and his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus answered and said to her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Question is, what did the woman come to Jesus for? Words 22. Why did she come to Jesus for? Because her daughter was severely demon-possessed afflicted by demons. What did she want? She wanted deliverance. Please deliver my child from demonic oppression. What did she want? Deliverance. In verse 26, what did she call? Jesus called deliverance. He said, deliverance is the bread of God's children. What is our bread? Deliverance. We are a set of people who are set free. 
that is my daily bread that is why he asked us to pray give me this day my daily bread he was not talking about bread he was talking about freedom and liberty in the spirit from demonic oppression it's a one day at a time every day i ask and i receive the liberty to walk with god free from demonic oppression that's my daily bread the bread we all have we don't have to pray most of us will never pray that prayer give me to be quite enough for the whole month but deliverance we need every day and it comes one day at a time because each day i have to choose to offer my body and to commit my mind according to his word and i'm set free and the evil one has no power over you or me one day at a time it is daily experience and lived daily where you diet your flesh daily diet your thinking patterns daily therefore paul says i die daily when he dies daily christ lives daily he experiences the liberty of the holy spirit where the spirit is lord there is liberty understand that that is how christ taught us to pray matthew 6 verse 11 give us this day our daily bread lord amen I want my freedom. That's my birthright. Paid in full by you on the cross. I don't want to live beneath it. It's my birthright. You paid for it. It's mine. I want it. I want to live today free from demonic oppression. From demonic influence. I want to walk with you today. He was not talking about physical food. He was talking about true, true liberty. how does it come very simple very simple god doesn't complicate it we complicate it very simple matthew 11 12 forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors he says the level of liberty deliverance you enjoy will be proportional to that level of forgiveness you give what do you want freedom what should you give freedom to others simple so it's very simple don't make it complicated i have to go to bible college for liberty he said i never said so i have to memorize the entire scripture for liberty he said you will never will because the pharisees who did are walking under bondage samaritan woman who did not know scripture is walking in liberty nicodemus who came in the night went in the night the woman who came in the midday ran to the town to show her liberty Don't misunderstand. He says it's very simple. Keep it simple. If you forgive others, deliverance will come. Each day, choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Then he finishes the Lord's prayer and goes back, reiterates on the main points, verse fourteen and fifteen. For if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their trespasses neither will your father forgive you your trespasses ayo that is complicated now does he stop there no he says not only will your father not forgive you your trespasses if you continue in that route what will you do matthew 18 and his master was angry delivered him to the tormentors or tortures until he should pay all that was due him so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart 
does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He says, not only will your father not forgive you, he will hand you over to the tormentor. He said, torment him until he forgives. So you see people, cancer bed, lying like this. Sister, brother, what do you want? I just want to forgive. Okay, you could have done this long time ago, no? You had to come to this state before you could forgive? How many years of your life you wasted because you are holding on to something? Is your husband alive? No, he's dead. And you still haven't forgiven him? No. You need to be a pastor and visit people to know the level of unforgiveness in the hearts of people. Opening doors for demonic oppression. Demonic oppression. I'm not saying issues. That's a different thing. I'm talking about forgiveness. Issue wise, Jesus has every right Every right to say, Father, these set of guys, don't forgive them. You know what they did to your own son? I went around under your power, healed them, set them free, everything. Now they have crucified me. Don't you forgive them, Lord. That's not what he says. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? He himself did not want to come under the influence of the devil. I keep my word. Forgive them, Lord. You devil, you're still trying, right? You are not going to get anything out of me. Nothing. This belongs to my father. This belongs to my father. No way will you have any influence over me. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. He will take the hedge off if you don't go according to his word. And Jesus never told us to do one thing which he didn't practice first under the power of the same Holy Spirit that is given to all of us. And all the world, you will see in churches, God's children, cut away from fellowship, tormented. Why? Because they choose not to walk in forgiveness. How do you know you are walking in forgiveness? 1 John, what say if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If you meet people, you have fellowship. It's easy. The first rule he says in Matthew 11, give us this day, I want my deliverance. Conditions for deliverance is set. One, forgive. Two, Matthew 6, 13. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Lead us not to temptation. Why? Temptation will lead you to sin. Where there is no temptation, there is no sin. Lead me not into temptation. Keep, Lord, my feet from going into the world without purpose. Because temptation, when I succumb to temptation, I succumb to sin. You don't have to worry about sin if you have learned to handle temptation. Lead us not to temptation is his part. What is your and my part? Flee. What is that? Fight temptation. No, he never said that. He never said fight temptation. He said flee temptation. Shall we have the references one after another, the next four? Flee sexual immorality. Flee he didn't say resist. Say, flee. Learn from Joseph. Run. Even if you have to leave your coat behind, run. Flee. Next one. 
Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This love of things is called idolatry. Covetousness for money in the Bible is called idolatry. Flee idolatry. Next one. But you man of God, flee these things. What is he talking about? Covetousness, money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many who went after it have pierced themselves with a lot of pain. He says, you man of God, flee these things. But every man of God I see on TV is only talking about money. But scripture says, oh man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. And pursue. Next, flee youth to young people. Flee Youthful lust. There are youthful lust, middle-aged lusts and old-aged lusts. These are different. Old, when you get older, it is pride. You battle pride. You battle pride. Older, you grow in the spirit, you battle pride more than anything else. Why? Why should I submit? Am I not no more, you know? Number one. God says, no, begin in your house. What? Submit to one another. Meaning, submit to your wife. Ayo. But am I not chief rabbi? God says, absolutely. I gave you the title. Now submit. <laughs> That's what happened to a Russian ambassador when Russia was very powerful. Not current Russia, old Russia. He was posted to a small little African kingdom where there was a tribal king. Under the rule of that kingdom was that any ambassador who presents his papers to the king has to crawl 50 times to the king. The ambassador wouldn't present his papers. He wrote to Moscow saying, we are the most powerful nation on earth. We are a superpower. And I am representing Soviet Russia. And how can this king say that I should crawl 50 50 steps to him? The reply came back from Moscow. Everything you said is true. We are the most powerful nation on earth. We are superpower. We are number one. Everything now crawl 50 yards. (laughs) And present your papers. Are you a child of God? Yes. Anointed by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Gifts of power? Yes. And then submit. Why? Because that is what his son showed us. Was he God? Yes. Equal to God? Yes. What did he do? Submit. 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 Even to the point of death and death on a cross. There was nothing lower than that you could go in the Roman Empire. The worst death ever invented by Rome for the worst criminal was crucifixion. He submitted to the lowest. God raised him to the highest. God said there is no other way. There is no other way. Flee. Flee. Not resist. Flee. What should you resist? James chapter 4. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Flee temptation. Resist the devil. What does it mean? Resist the spirit Spirit behind the temptation. But flee temptation. There is temptation. There are spirits behind temptation. Resist that spirit. But flee temptation. Don't let the devil ever think you are running from him. No, you are not running from him. You are running from his temptation. But you are resisting him. You are resisting him. Very simple, no? Jesus did not complicate it. Very simple in the Bible. Matthew 6, 13. Flee. Lead us not into temptation. Because temptation will lead to sin. So keep me from sin. Next, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver me from evil. From the power of the evil one. 
What is it? Listen to number six message. The difference between sin and evil. All sinners are not evil. All evil ones are sinners. And God is not saying, lead me not into temptation. No, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. You have to be very careful about sin and evil. When you continue in sin and join the company of evil men, then whatever thing you do, even the most spiritual thing, cannot save you. If you have one proof, John chapter 13 and verse, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Right after communion, demon possession. Who gave, who broke bread? Jesus. Who dipped the bread in wine? Jesus. Whom did Jesus give it to Judas? He took it and the demon got in. Because you are evil. You have become evil. Even this won't save you. From the hands of the very Lord who instituted it won't save you. It will only open the door for the devil to get in because you are evil. And you have joined the company of evil ones. Whom did you go? Met the Pharisees, already fixed the price and now coming and sitting at the table. You are not going to be saved. That's why he said, Lord, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Are you getting the picture? Why did Naomi go to Moab? For bread. Why did Naomi go back to Bethlehem? For bread. Don't keep moving around for bread. For man shall not live by bread alone. There is another bread that he offers. What is that bread? It is deliverance from oppression. That was what he was telling them in John chapter 6 verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they are dead. Why did they die? Because Though they partook of that physical bread, they never partook of my life. Therefore, through those 40 years in the wilderness, they were under demonic oppression. Their minds were controlled by Egypt and they were secretly carrying their idols and worshipping those idols they have brought out from Egypt. We saw that from one of the minor prophets, right? Why? Because you could never be free. Why? Because you received that physical bread, but you never received the giver of that bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Receive me. Partake of me. You will be always free. Otherwise you will be following bread wherever bread trail. That's what you see in politics everywhere. It's a bread trail. Who will win the next election? Whoever gives more bread. Which college will you choose? Which gives me more bread? Which profession will you choose? Which gives you more bread? Where is the plan and the purposes of God in the children of God's life? It's all about bread. God says man shall not live by bread alone. No. Because your fathers ate the best bread baked in heaven. And they died. Now I have come. And I am the bread of life. He says you eat of me. You will never die. You will live forever. As we come to the conclusion, it's God who said, man shall not live by bread alone. He knows we need bread. He created us. He knows our needs better than we ourselves do.
That's why those who have known God is able to tell us, My God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. So we ask ourselves this question. The question we asked in the beginning. What does the lack of bread, or rather bread, do to us? What does it do to us? God had warned Israel. God had warned his people, the first people of his covenant. In Leviticus 26, 23 to 26, he had said, 23 to 26. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, God says, if you don't change, I will discipline you. And even by my discipline, you don't change. But walk contrary to me. Then I will also walk contrary to you. And I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. When the world gets one, we get seven. Ask me, I know what it is to be born the son of a principal. And the other students got one, I got seven. That's what it means to be known as a child of God. When others get one, we get seven. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Oppression. For spiritual, new covenant, understand. We go into oppression. When I have cut off your supply of bread. Can I have KJV there? The, all the others stick to KJV, okay? Verse 26. When I have cut off or broken, I like that KJV version. All the subsequent ones, let's have it in KJV. When I have broken the staff of your bread, staff of your bread, what does it mean? Staff is a symbol of your power, your authority, your blessings, everything. He says, I will break it. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. God had promised something to Israel. He said, I will bless your bread. I'll bless your water. You need to understand that is what the staff of bread means. When your bread and my bread is blessed by God, then it doesn't matter whether it is little or more, it always satisfies but if he breaks the staff of bread, he removes his sand from our bread. It doesn't matter how many bake bread for you. It will never satisfy. It will never satisfy. Because we have lost our liberty. In Psalm 105 and verse 16, he will say, Psalm 105 and verse 16, he will say, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land and he break the whole staff of bread. He said it's the authority, the power, the favor, the blessing of God on our lives. When his blessing is there upon our bread, it doesn't matter if it is little. And he will practically demonstrate it before his disciples in John chapter 6 and verse 6. He asked them. We shall feed them. 
He knew. He never had to worry about the supply. He said, what do you have? Five loaves. What's the crowd? Five thousand plus. What did he say? Blessed Father. That's all. How much is the supply? I don't know what you're looking into your paycheck. Maybe most of it is already over because you paid your rent, paid your tithes. Paid your tithes, paid your rent. That's the order, not rent, okay? Then your landlord is your master. Spiritually. I'm talking spiritually. When you think about paying rent first, you've already decided who is your master. When you decide, I will pay my tithes first, you have already decided who is your Lord. These are spiritual decisions. These are not physical decisions. You may have very little in your hand, but if he blesses it, what does scripture say? Jesus took the loaves when he had given thanks. He distributed to disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down likewise of fishes as much as they could eat. That's what it means. The staff of bread. If God's favor is upon us, his hand is over our lives, it doesn't matter how little we have. It will be always more than enough because of the Abrahamic blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And you can never be a blessing unless you have more than enough. He didn't say, I will make you starve so that others can be blessed. He said, no. I will bless you to be a blessing. The staff of his bread. But if his blessing is removed from our bread, whether it is lack or whether it is plenty, whether it is lack, what happens if his hand is removed? Luke 20, uh, Leviticus 26, 26 says, 10 women shall bake your bread in one oven and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be, never be satisfied. What if you say it doesn't apply to me because I have plenty of bread and excess, but if God removes his hand from you, you know what happens? Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. This was the sin of your sister, Sodom. What was the sin of your sister, Sodom? Can we have it? We think Sodom and Gomorrah was judged for homosexuality. No. That was the disease. What leads to these sins? Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread. Where does every sexual perversion arise from? From nations that have plenty of bread. Why? Because you said, I took my hand off your bread. So even if you have plenty by your effort, it will still lead to judgment. Still lead to judgment. Because they had fullness of bread, they went into iniquity and they were judged and destroyed by fire. They did not have lack of bread. They had plenty. Fullness of bread. We need bread. All of us need bread to sustain. But we need it with God's blessings upon it. That's why he told his generation, don't worry. But what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
What does it mean? Keep on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Come more and more and more under his authority. That's the kingdom. Keep on growing in righteousness. And all the things we need, that is bread for life, he said, he will add. Our staff of bread then will be strong and it will sustain us even in our old age. Not only that, we will still be able to worship God in liberty in our old age and still be a blessing to others in our old age because the staff of bread was not broken. Hebrews 11 and verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The last days of his life. Is the staff of his bread strong? Is he worshipping? Is he blessing? That's why I said our lives will be defined by two things. One, are we still able to worship God in freedom? Where age doesn't wither our worship. Weakness doesn't take the purity of our worship. And we still are a blessing to people even with our last breath. That is life. That's the liberty to which God has called us. So this morning, I said we will pray at the end. If you have an infirmity in your body, you feel under oppression, whatever it is, you want freedom. Take a step of faith and come to the front. Come to the front. I would ask Pastor Vijay, I want you to come. Sister Elsa, I want you to come. Brother Ashok, I want you to come stand with us as we pray. The Canaanite woman was not part of the covenant. She was not part of the covenant. She was crying for deliverance for her daughter. Jesus said that is bread for the children, not for those who are outside the covenant. She worshipped him and she had an incredible reply of faith. She said, Lord, even little dogs eat the crumbs under the table. He said, because of your answer, because of your faith, you will receive what you asked. We are not little dogs under the table. We are children of the living God. That bread she sought is our inheritance is our right paid for full on the cross powers of darkness have been disarmed on the cross not only disarmed on the cross they have been made a public display on the cross nothing should steal our worship nothing should stop us you and me from becoming a blessing to others so this morning as we come and we stand before God we are surrendering by coming and standing our bodies by faith our bodies into the hands of God whatever your infirmity may be because scripture says the body for the Lord then the Lord for the body today I believe by standing and coming you have surrendered your body to the Lord and the Lord from his word promises then the Lord is for your body 
by heeding that voice by coming forward you are offering your minds to God Father this morning we come to you in the precious name of Jesus the name above every other name every ruler every power every authority has to bow before that name and today as your people as your servants we take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and i command every spirit of infirmity to leave the bodies of god's children leave in jesus name your spirit of weakness your spirit of sickness your spirit of infirmity you will leave in jesus name whatever that sickness is you will leave in jesus name be healed in Jesus name you proclaimed in your word when you brought your people out i am the lord that healeth thee we bring your word to your remembrance o lord this morning exodus 15:26 you said in your word in psalm 103 i am the lord that heals all your diseases you said in your word in psalm 107 verse 20 i sent forth my word and healed you of your diseases said in your word in Isaiah 53 by your stripes we are healed you said in your word in Malachi for the son of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings and he shall go out like stall fed calves we look to you the rise of god in the lives of your people and heal them rebuke every form of infirmity whatever it is we command it to leave in Jesus name father we just come to you in the mighty name of Jesus god who sent his own son to die such a violent death on the cross so that we would have healing in our bodies and peace in our souls you paid the price so that we could walk free we declare that freedom in your house today in the lives of each one for it is written whom the son sets free is free indeed it is written for this purpose the son of god came that he might destroy the works of the devil and today we know lord the works of the devil was destroyed in many lives you alone belong the glory and the honor i pray father that you would fill them with your spirit with your power with your strength that they would walk in that victory one day at a time seeking and longing and receiving that daily bread our deliverance our deliverance lord to walk with god go into another month go before us help us to guard that liberty and walk in that liberty walk with god that's why we were redeemed oh lord just never forget the purpose of our salvation is to worship god and to walk with him forevermore lord thank you lord bless your people strengthen your people for in jesus name we pray 
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us.